0: Welcome, dear readers. You are listening to Time to Read, a Winnipeg Public Library podcast book club. In this episode, the gang revisits the Moor once again to have a look at a few of the many adaptations of The Hound of the Baskervilles. Along the way, we will discuss our favorite movies based on books and include many of our listeners' comments. Although we are all safely physically distancing while we record, it's safe to say that we are all still on Treaty One territory and on land that is the traditional territory of the Nishinabe, Cree, Oji Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples and the homeland of the Métis Nation. I'm Trevor Lockhart, branch head of the Louisville Library. And across the screen for me is...
1: Hi, I'm Erica, branch head at Fort Gary Library. And across the screen from me is...
2: Hi, I'm Dennis. I normally work in the idea mill, and across the screen from me is...
3: Hi, my name's Kirsten, and I am the librarian at Harvey Smith Library. A good book
2: can carry me away from an ever-engine old ordinary... We
0: can't do this without you. It's your questions and comments that form the heart of our discussions. Email us at wpl-podcast at winnipeg.ca or find our friendly Facebook group, Time to Read. Find out if your comments made it on air by subscribing to Time to Read on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, and other fine podcasting services, or visit our website wpl-podcast.winnipeg.ca. Don't forget to stick around to the end for our special segment, Nerd Words for Word Nerds. All right, well, it seems like one episode wasn't uh, enough to hold everything we need to say about Sherlock Holmes. No,
3: it wasn't (laughs) enough for some of us, anyway. (laughs) No, and
0: uh, one of the things we discovered... Uh, One of the things we discovered uh, when we were discussing The Hound of the Baskervilles on our last episode was that there were many, many, many different versions of it out there in the world, including I found a a version that was done in India. The very, very first version on film was a silent film from 1914. And I thought of you, Kristen, because it was a German film. It was Der Hund von Baskerville.
4: Oh, (laughs) wow.
0: And uh, <laughs> But we're not going to talk about that one because, first of all, it was silent. And apparently it was it's lost to the mists of time. Uh, but oh. we were able to find four versions that we all agreed on that we could at least watch a bit of to discuss. So uh, I thought maybe we would go through in chronological order in the year that they were released. So starting us off will be Dennis, who will be telling us about a version of Hound of the Baskervilles that he watched that starred Basil Rathbone as Sherlock Holmes.
2: Yeah, so I watched The Hound of the Baskervilles, which was released in 1939 by 20th Century Fox. Basil Rathbone played Sherlock Holmes, Nigel Bruce as Watson, and Richard Green as Sir Henry Baskerville. Fox was apparently unsure whether a Sherlock Holmes movie would do well, so Richard Green, the actor playing Sir Henry Baskerville, got top billing instead of Rathbone. This film was the first in a series of 14 starring Rathbone and Bruce, It was the first known Sherlock Holmes film to be set in the Victorian period. Apparently, most others had been updated to be contemporary, and uh, later films in this series would update the setting so that Sherlock Holmes was fighting the Nazis in World War II and things like that. Fun fact, Lionel Atwill, who was the actor who played Dr. Mortimer, later returned to play Moriarty in Sherlock Holmes and the Secret Weapon in 1942. This film is pretty close to the original story, but with some notable changes. It starts off with Sir Charles running across the moor to his estate with howling in the background before collapsing on the ground. The homicidal maniac appears and happens upon the body and almost steals his watch, but runs off after hearing a woman's voice. Then it goes to the coroner's inquest, where we see Dr. Mortimer, Franklin, and Stapleton. And only then does it go to the opening scene of the book with Holmes and Watson having a conversation about the walking stick. This film was shot on a soundstage, and uh, it's really, really obvious. Everything is (laughs) super gray and dark. The atmosphere is really heavy because of this. It really kind of looks like a, a destroyed moonscape or something rather than an actual place. Like after watching this film, I was like, what the heck is a moor? Like is, <laughs> is there a place on Earth that no looks like No sense it? of moor. <laughs> I, I had to look through Google Images to find what that area of the world actually looked like so I could be a little relieved. Because when you're like, especially when you see this shot of uh, Sir Henry looking out his yard and going out onto the moor, you're looking at it and thinking, why would anyone build a manor here? Mm-hmm. It, it looks like the prototypical Scooby-Doo haunted mansion. <laughs> the uh, other changes in, the, in this movie, uh, Beryl Stapleton is Jack Stapleton's stepsister. And there's no mention at any point that she was really his wife. Uh the barrel Sir Henry Romance is really played up quite a lot, and Jack Stapleton doesn't seem bothered by it at all. There's an extra seance scene because Mrs. Mortimer is apparently a medium nice
4: um
2: yeah, and when they're wondering what happened to you, Sir Charles, you know all of a sudden there's a howl in the distance, and <laughs> one of the scenes that was in the book but was modified quite a bit for the movie was uh when Watson and Holmes met on the moor in the book. Watson, you know, was told by Franklin that he had spotted someone scurrying along and he figures out, oh, there's someone there. Maybe that's our, our villain. And he sneaks in, he finds his way there. And then when Holmes approaches, he spots or smells Spotson's uh, tobacco and rec- realizes it's him, and they have this reunited. In this one, what happens instead is, while well, Watson is along the moor with another character, they run into a mysterious peddler who comes out of nowhere oh. and starts trying to sell them like various Magic items, beans. including a whistle. Is <laughs> this really bizarre little Weird. scene. And then later on, Watson gets a note slip to him, telling him to meet out on the moor in this one place. And when he gets there, the peddler shows up. <laughs> And, Wa- and Watson pulls out his gun and he's like trying to intimidate the peddler. And in order to intimidate him, he's like, you better not try to trifle with me. Do you know who I am? No. Who are you? I am Sherlock Holmes. Oh. And then the, the peddler goes, well, if you're Sherlock Holmes, then I must be John Watson. And he <laughs> oh. reveals oh, his mask man. that it's really Holmes the whole time. That's
0: awesome. Master of Disguise.
2: Yeah, but then he proceeds to basically laugh and point at Watson like, oh, you fell for the you – know, and, and he's making fun of him. And it, I know we were saying last time around, Trevor, you had mentioned that uh, the idea of Watson being kind of a doddering fool was something you could place directly on this actor. But I really think it was written this way and directed this way because – the the way the scene comes through, it just Watson is a, really played for a fool and, and made out to be much more of a fool than in the book.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Also, Holmes never tells Watson that Stapleton's the villain until after Stapleton has run off towards the end. And at the end, there's no significant wrap-up. Stapleton runs off. Holmes says there's constables on every road except for the Grimp and Mire. And then he goes to bed because he's tired.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> so... <laughs> We're apparently keeping an eye out for mustaches, and there were plenty yes. of mustaches in this sh- film. Good. Dr. <laughs> Mortimer had a nice little curly one. Uh, Watson had a very stable and solid mustache. Berryman's mustache was kind of triangular, and he had like a goatee or a Van Dyke, or, you know, it was very angular and looked kind of sharp. Uh, <laughs> Stapleton had one of these thin, kind of pencil mustaches, like medium thin. Uh, Hugo Baskerville in the. <laughs> Portrait had this big curly mustache, so he was obviously a villain. Oh, like a real rake. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Franklin did not have a mustache, but he had mutton chops, and I want to give him bonus points for the mm-hmm. mutton chops. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if I'm talking about best mustache in this particular film, I'm going to give it to Watson, because uh, that's the mustache I'd want to have.
0: <laughs> nice. In, in many ways, uh, mutton chops are the reverse mustache. <laughs> yes.
1: My favorite is when the mustache goes into the mutton chops. And then oh, yeah. Like, yeah. The big, big one. Like, yeah, big you're not money.
0: messing around when you have that. You're just... <laughs> no. Yeah, you mean business. <laughs> it's funny that you said, Dennis, how the movie just seemed to wrap up so quickly. I, I find with those older movies, too, like, it seems like the climax happens, like, Two minutes before the end of the movie, and then boom, big the end. No end credits because yeah. usually the credits are at the beginning, and then oh. you're just left watching like, like, what the heck? Like that's it? Like it just ended? So they
3: they run out of money yeah. or something? Like yeah, whoops. yeah, exactly.
1: the <laughs> budget. <laughs> 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 that's done. Is that the one where they're all like they're all in like a parlor, and then he just says like I've had a busy day or I've had a trying day, and he just like walks out. Him and so, Watson? Something like that? Yeah. Okay, I don't really I remember. It.
0: So that's that's great. Well, um, jumping 20 years later (laughs) brings us to 1959 and uh, the movie that I uh, watched, and it was another version of Hound of the Baskervilles. This time, Sherlock Holmes was played by Peter Cushing, and Christopher Lee played Sir Henry Baskerville. And I was so confused by this movie. I had never seen it. It was the the only one of the four who I hadn't seen before we decided to do this, because I thought for the for the first maybe 10 minutes that Christopher Lee was Sherlock Holmes. And I kept saying to myself, boy, Christopher Lee sure looks a lot like Peter Cushing. And, <laughs> and, and the problem was is that Peter Cushing has done two versions of Hound of the Baskervilles. He did another one that was for BBC 10 years later, like in the late 60s. Yeah. And it was terrible. It was done like on a soundstage. <laughs> it looked like sort of like a mid-level soap opera, production values. And that was the one I watched first. I only watched about a few minutes of it, and i was like, "Oh, this is terrible! I'm going to turn this off." So I put the other one on, and I just assumed, "Well, Peter Cushing, he only did he he can't do two Hounds of the Baskervilles." No, apparently he can, and, <laughs> and he did. And, and then Chris, as soon as so as soon as Christopher Lee came on the screen as Sir Henry Baskerville, I was like, "Oh my god, yeah, that's that's obviously Christopher Lee. That's uh, wow. you know Lord Summerisle from uh, from The Wicker Man and uh, Count Dooku from uh, Attack of the Clones." and uh, so anyway, man, this version was campy, lurid, melodramatic. Uh, the very opening scene is the, uh, the flashback to Sir Hugo Baskerville in the beginning of The Legend, and the camera slowly creeps up on Baskerville Manor to a stained glass window, and then all of a sudden someone is thrown right through the window smashes the and lands in like a, looks like a moat or something and and it just it's horrible like there's <laughs> it's ridiculous and then it jumps forward <laughs> and there's a scene in london where uh sir henry is almost uh killed by a tarantula uh, <laughs> you know just 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 for the fun of it i guess and then oh, when they get to when they get to dartmoor uh, it, it, there's another little change with the stapletons they're still the villains but instead of uh brother sister their a father-daughter situation which was really creepy until i realized that no in fact they actually were father-daughter it wasn't it wasn't a husband and wife masquerading as father and daughter it was just father-daughter they just left it at that and i was like oh (laughs) this is getting beyond what i can handle (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, they really just like in the Basil Rathbone's version, they really played up the love story between Sir Henry and uh, Miss Stapleton. Although they made her a uh, hot-blooded uh, Spaniard, a lady that came across from Spain instead of from Costa Rica, and she uh, was of course had lots of fire. Oh, gosh, she fire <laughs> and sex appeal, and yes. uh, she was she was a very magnet, uh, magnetism on the screen. It was. Uh, she was she was something to watch. Uh but uh I should also mention that this version was one of the movies made by the Hammer Horror Film Company. And they were known for all those ridiculous horror movies in the 60s and 70s, like uh you know, Dracula's Curse and uh and apparently Peter Cushing, who played Sherlock Holmes in this one, played Dr. Frankenstein about seven or eight times for the Hammer Company. And Christopher Lee played Dracula. A million times for the, for the Hammer Company. <laughs> and, uh, and, but this was their first kind of pairing and it was kind of a semi respectable movie. But then it just turns, it just takes a left turn partway through. There's like a whole ritual sacrifice thing that goes on and there's like witchcraft and, uh, and they're just like, what? It's, uh, there's a mine shaft a whole set piece where Sherlock goes into a mine and then the mine collapses on him and, and it was written much more like a like a who done it in the, that it wasn't sort of like just following the story it was like oh could it have been dr mortimer no well you know this and that and the other thing and so it was a real uh, hot mess but i'm glad i saw it and um, I wasn't quite as detailed as Dennis on the mustache front, but I would like to note that my favorite facial hair in this movie was by <laughs> Dr. Mortimer. He was kind of a heavy-set man. He kind of had a bit of an, kind of an Alfred Molina vibe to him, uh, but a lovely, <laughs> thick, uh, luxurious beard that wasn't too bushy. It was trimmed. You could tell he took care of it. Um, mm-hmm. But, but um, I, I was looking at that beard. I was like, yeah, that's, uh, that's a nice beard.
3: You know, I, I went on and watched the trailer for that, for the, for the Peter Cushing version because you can watch the trailer and I would encourage people to just watch the trailer because I watched it going what is this the book that we read like what because like at one point like the Spanish woman like she falls into the into the mire and oh, yeah, like, yeah. dies yeah. And, yeah. And, and like yeah the ritual like I was like I don't understand this but like it's so melodramatic I had to call Isaac over come and look at this this is this is just wild you
0: yeah, and, yeah, and you know how in the in the novel they make the hound look scary because they use f- phosphorus paint uh, or whatever. But in this movie, they, they make the hound look scary because they just put a scary hound dog mask on the dog. <gasps> oh
4: oh <laughs> yeah, I saw that. So too. So when they shoot the dog
0: at the end, they are like, "Look, he was wearing a mask." <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah.
0: yeah. Oh. Did so- you say that was the
1: uh, nineteen fifty nine?
0: That was the 1959 version. Yeah. Okay. So, so um, if we jump from, oh no, go ahead, Erica. Oh, you I was saying? just
1: like, did anybody? So the, that was the first one that Peter Cushing's did. Yes. Right. So he did another one in '68. He did. Okay, so I just watched like bits of the one from '68,
0: and okay,
1: yes. I I marked that one as being the best mustache. Um, I guess Nigel Stock plays Watson in that one. And yes. So that was my favorite especially watson mustache so Mm. that's why i'm gonna put a note to that one and i think that that one was in two two parts
0: Yes, because it was a uh, BBC uh, television show, so they split it over two weeks. Okay. And an interesting little Sherlock fun fact about Nigel Stock <laughs> is that he also appeared in another Sherlock Holmes movie. I remember last week I was talking about uh, Young Sherlock Holmes? Uh, uh-huh. Well, he played Sherlock Holmes's mentor in that movie, Professor. I think his name is Wax Flatter, and it was from <laughs> him that uh, Sherlock supposedly gets the deerstalker hat. Uh, uh, because you know, like, because young Sherlock Holmes is like an origin story, so they try to pack in as many, like, where does he get the pipe from? Where does he get the hat? Right. Where does he get the phrase elementary, my dear Watson? Even though he never says elementary, my dear Watson. pet right. But uh, but so it's kind of a neat throwback that, that Nigel Stock, that Watson then is also then called back later on as a much older, older man in young Sherlock Holmes. And That's then, awesome. so if we jump though from 1968, let's jump another 20 years to 1988. To the version that Kirsten watched, oh, which yeah, uh, was Jeremy Brett's take on the character. So tell us all about Jeremy Brett. Tell us all about that version of The Hound of the Baskervilles, which I'm assuming you watched, Kirsten, although knowing I, you you may have not watched it.
3: I did. No, I watched it. I watched the whole thing. As I sanitized my house. Um, <laughs> and um I was just very impressed by how true to the book it was. I mean, it seemed like it was exactly... The book, And so that's why when I saw the, the trailer for the Peter Cushing, I was like, what, 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 what? <laughs> um, I mean, of course, movies are, you know, you're able to sort of put in a lot more foreshadowing, right? So that's what I noticed oh. with this movie is that I didn't really, in the book, I didn't realize that Holmes was actually... There in the cave the whole time that he was following along. But in the movie, you know, there are all these little sort of sneaky little hands on a on a on a rock that's obviously Holmes watching over Watson or in the in the post office. So all these little clues that Holmes is there. And um so you get those that foreshadowing right from the very, very beginning. It, you know, it still felt quite sort of melodramatic as well. You definitely did see images of the more because it was 1988, so I think sort of the filming was a little bit better with a bigger, bigger budget. Um, although I'll talk more about that. Something I noticed too, well, something annoying. I mean, I felt like the women were actually almost more weakly presented in the movie than in, in even in the book, because <laughs> they were just like sort of pathetic characters. Like um, LL, what was her name again? Anyway, she was just so weak and fragile, and Holmes had to sort of carry her away, or uh, whoever Whatever it was, but also what I noticed too at the end of the book, uh, at the end of the movie, Holmes was like hugging people. He was like hugging mm. people in comfort. I was like, what? <laughs> this does not seem like like him. Like he hugged Sir Henry after mm. the attack. He hugged him, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. And then there was there's hugging of Miss Stapleton, and so that was all quite interesting. So after I'd watched it, I did then kind of go on and look for some reviews, because I don't always, you know, maybe trust myself. <laughs> and uh, a New York Times review actually really gave a positive review about this rendition and said that Brett's performance brings a calculated touch of 19th century melodrama to the role. So loved it. Um, and then I went on to the Arthur Conan Doyle Encyclopedia, which obviously is a group of people who are very, very into Holmes and Holmes movies and adaptations, and they were much more critical. And they said that Jeremy Brett himself – regretted that the film hadn't been developed sufficiently to achieve perfect accuracy oh. which i thought was come on like get your expectations down there a little bit <laughs> also too they said that the producers had used up most of the series budget in earlier films and so actually some of the critical scenes had to be filmed in the studio so mm. they i mean i didn't notice that. Um, I mean, The Hound did look a bit weird. Like, it didn't really look like there's a lot of money spent. Considering it's in 1988, I mean, I thought it would have looked a little bit more realistic. Also, too, the, the, their their critiques were that there was a lot of mumbling in the film as if the two actors weren't confident in what they were saying. So, a highly mm. critical review of this movie. Okay. I probably am, you know, would say more like the New York Times review. It was good, very faithful. Uh Jeremy Brett was good. He was excellent, I sure. He sort of came off with that sort of Sherlock Holmes um arrogance, um and know-it-allness and uh yeah. So, oh, and I, yeah, I didn't really, uh I didn't really pay attention to mustaches because I thought we were looking for mustaches on Sherlock Holmes. And like, Sherlock Holmes <laughs> never has a mustache. <laughs> we never had a... So I was so confused. I was like, why did we? But so, so then I was, I had been watching, um, uh, some clips of actually Sir Arthur Conan Doyle talking about, you know, whose inspiration had been for Sherlock Holmes. And now Sir Ar- Arthur Conan Doyle had one excellent mustache big and bushy and white and authoritative that was a mustache so nice that that is my uh that is my take on the 1988 Jeremy Brett version
0: that's fantastic you
2: know there's one one criticism <laughs> you didn't mention though uh-huh which is my only real beef with the Jeremy Brett version is they didn't make very many changes to the original story but they did change sir henry as having come from America instead of having come from Canada, hmm. and that annoyed me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's weird how yes. they decide
1: what to change, like with the peddler yeah. thing. Like, what did they think was yes. we yeah. missing? And like, yeah, why? Why change the country that he comes from? It has no import at all.
0: Yeah, yeah. Right. well, but that's the thing about version, watching multiple adaptations. Um, yeah, in the Peter Cushing uh, version, Sir Henry came from South Africa.
4: Oh. oh. You know,
0: for no reason at all. Like, Christopher Lee is in South Africa. I don't know. Just to make it more exotic, I guess? Who knows? Mm. <laughs> but,
1: uh, I don't so, know. these decision-making things. hmm yeah. Odd.
0: Well, jumping from 1988 to another 30 years, if you can believe it, the most recent yeah. adaptation of The Hound of the Baskervilles will be introduced to us by Erica.
1: Yes. So... I was watching the second episode of the second season of Sherlock, which is called Hounds of the Baskerville. It stars Benedict Cumberbatch as Sherlock Holmes and Martin Freeman as Watson. And I want to just point out, Martin Freeman is also Bilbo Baggins and Arthur Dent <laughs> from Hitchhiker's Guide. So that guy has some range. And um, <laughs> I love i loved this adaptation, but it is not in any way... Uh, you might what, call it? It's not really an adaptation, so much as it is is like a reimagining of them, their characters and their adventures, and yet somehow seems to still capture the essence of Sherlock and the essence of Watson and the essence of the story. So mm-hmm. um the The Hounds of the Baskerville is sort of, yeah, to me, more of a collage of fragments of from the story put together, re kind of re like mixed up, like chopped up, mixed up. Put back together in a kind of a mosaic by somebody who obviously loves Sherlock Holmes, which is the, I can't remember his name, but he also plays Mycroft in the thing. And somehow, yeah, still, even though it takes place in the present day, it somehow still manages to have the same tone of a classic horror, but there's like, it's like a creepy military scientific lab instead of a creepy moorish old haunted estate and uh, monster dogs i mean our monster dogs are always timeless of course <laughs> uh, monster dogs there is no mustaches <laughs> in this one not one so major i mean not that i recall i was mainly looking for watson mustaches oh okay. and um mm. there was no remarkable mustaches i guess there might have been some like there's like the um, barrymore all the character names are used yeah um but there are there are different people so like dr mortimer is henry's female therapist uh (laughs) stapleton is a crazy gene splicing scientist (laughs) as well who like takes um the genes of a jellyfish and like puts them in a bunny and then the bunny's glowing and then her daughter ends up with the glowing bunny and there's this whole subplot and then and barrymore is like the major and head in charge of baskerville and baskerville is the research facility army base um, near the moor, near Mire And um, so, yeah, so there's like, but there's so, having just read Hound of the Baskervilles, I caught all these little things that I had like no idea of when I first watched this, like a couple years, or whenever it came out. So even like, even little things like that, there's a minefield surrounding the facility and that's where the killer ends up dying because it's like, instead of in the book, the killer runs away And gets sucked into the sinkholes, I think. In this one, he runs away into this minefield. And that's what does Hmm. him in. So it's like, little things like that are redone in a different way. So anyway, other than like these little bits, and then these wonderful lines, like the prince of a hound of a gigantic size, and um, Mm -hmm. stay away from the moor at night if you value your lives. And Mm -hmm. like, everything else is just, it's kind of like a brand new story with like, associative bits thrown in uh hound ends up being the word hounds ends up being a clue as to the true murderer the ever pervasive fog that's such a big part of conan doyle's story is actually the murder weapon and but and then there's a lot of still that idea of you see what you expect to see and uh what's it called um ah the thing the self-fulfilling prophecy and Mm. stuff like that and um I Miss Stapleton is a love, well, kind of a love interest. Watson chats her up at the pub before she (laughs) realizes who he is. Uh, So he's trying to get information from her. And then she calls him when she's in dire peril later. later. So it's more of a Watson semi-love interest than anything else. So I have lots of just sort of disjointed notes of like things that were the same or things that reminded me of things. But um, I mean, overall, if you love the story you will probably thoroughly enjoy this remixing of the stuff from the story as well as like I think it's just like a great movie on its own and it's it's part of it's hilarious because in the overall plot of the series it starts off when um Sherlock is trying to quit smoking and uh he's not doing very well uh with the quitting of the smoking so when um What's his name? Uh, What's actually Henry who comes to get them to help in this one? He says, you know, go ahead and smoke. And then he's like trying to breathe in Henry's cigarette smoke (laughs) because he hasn't had. So it's just, it's campy. It's like the Sherlock character, supercharged. And then I guess the other major difference is that in this, Watson is pretty, is tough and clever and just very, very strong for putting up with Sherlock and being his friend because Sherlock is not very nice to him most mm, of the time, um, no, which Benedict. I think is also just a super cha- supercharged version of what the, the dynamic is in the book. That
3: relationship, um, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. So, and then, <laughs> the, the, and, and then, sorry, I was just going to finish the, the, off by saying the portrayal of no, women is much better in these versions. Yeah. Um, Miss Hudson has a rounded out character. She has, like, things and she's kind of a badass sometimes, not in this episode, but in other episodes. A bunch of the characters are converted to being women, that like the doctor and the scientist and all mm. this stuff, and um, yeah, they just they're not just sort of like dragged around by men and mistreated and stuff like yeah. that. So yeah. yeah, I would really recommend uh, this non-adaptation adaptation. <laughs> as thoroughly good time. And, Excellent. Yes.
0: I uh, I rewatched the uh, Hounds of Baskerville just a couple of days ago, and I hadn't seen it since it had come out three or four years ago, and I absolutely loved it. Yeah. Uh, especially after having read the original novel again, that was fresh in my mind, and then just to see, yeah, like you said, Eric, I think you you nailed it when you said it, it was just it's like a it's like a remix of the story. Yeah. It takes all the great great moments, little lines, and kind of twists them just a little bit, so that and the storyline is different enough that it's still very compelling, it's very watchable, you're not, even though you know how the Hound of the Baskervilles ends, you don't really know at all what's going on and how it's going to end, and there's so many excellent little nods to the series, like one of the ones that made me laugh out loud was at one point, Inspector Lestrade shows up uh, in Grimpen to help out, and... Uh, and Holmes is you know, like, What are you doing here? Uh, and he's like, well, I'm on holiday. He's like, You're obviously not on holiday. You're all tan. You just got back from holiday. You're not going on a second holiday. And then he said, mm-hmm. And then, said, uh, and then, and then uh, Watson says, Oh, hey, Greg. Good to see you. And he, and he says, Well, you're obviously undercover. Why are you calling yourself Greg? And then Watson says, "Well, that's his name." He goes, "It is." <laughs> and, 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 and one of the funny things is, like in the original novels, I don't think Inspector Lestrade is ever given a first name, and so uh-huh. uh, it, this is sort of like the creator's nod to that. And uh, and also it kind of reminded me of what Dennis said in the last episode: how Sherlock Holmes didn't really know that the Earth went around the Sun because it wasn't something that. He, it wasn't useful information that he could use and so the fact that you know inspector Lestrade's first name was not useful information for him he just <laughs> never bothered to learn it so all Didn't those I... all those little things yeah we just it was so, it was so much fun to watch and <laughs> uh, yeah I,
1: yeah and then great. i'm just going to like a couple more things that like that I, I love is that you know like little homages to the character there's um, there's a recurring photo of Sherlock in a deerstalker hat but it was taken kind of by surprise. He was just trying the hat on. Like, it's not even his hat, but it's what keeps appearing in the newspaper. And so they tease <laughs> him about that. He uh, keeps turning up the collar of his coat. And Watson keeps, like, calling him on it, like, because he's trying to look cool. And, like, because he's on the case or whatever. <laughs> and he's like, no, I'm cold. And, um, <laughs> the, oh, and then them being them being mistaken for a couple at the pub in Grimpenmeyer. They're constantly, there's a, there's a pub owner there who's, like, convinced that they're a couple. Yeah, so just all Sweet. these, like... Yeah, all these in mm-hmm. jokes for people who <laughs> <laughs> Anyway. Yeah, After you, we, if job. you're
2: looking if you're looking for a Watson mustache in that series, in the first episode of season 3, Watson does grow a mustache for <gasps> a little while, but eventually shaves it because nobody likes it.
4: Oh. <laughs> I
1: like I don't remember that. I'll have to look it up.
3: When I was uh, just looking through um, YouTube, because that's where I had no idea you could find, like, all of these movie renditions, I found a Lego version. Have you guys seen that? <laughs> no. The Lego version of The Hound of the Baskervilles? It, no. and, and it's made up of 35,737 frames. And it's Whoa. the complete story of The Hound of the Baskervilles, but it's all in Lego. It's Whoa. I mean I did not watch the whole thing but I just was like that's incredible. So I'll put a little link to that in the show notes cuz that yeah. was just like wild,
1: yeah. <laughs> Holy.
0: Before we turn away from Sherlock Holmes altogether, um I know we've all watched a few different versions and one of the things that we were thinking about was did we all have a favorite Sherlock Holmes actor, and uh, this is also a question we put out on our uh, social media, and we had, uh, at least on the Facebook page, uh, someone gave their opinion. I'd like to just read out um, Eileen Gilbert's response. She like, uh, says, for sure, Benedict Cumberbatch, although she says, I do like Ian McKellen as well, and it's interesting that she should pick Ian McKellen, because... As far as I know, the only version of Sherlock Holmes that I've seen that Ian McKellen is in is this version that came out maybe three or four years ago. It's just called Mr. Holmes. And Um. the whole idea is that... Like and this is part of the Sherlock Holmes canon is that when Sherlock Holmes retires from being a detective, he moves to Sussex and becomes a uh, beekeeper. And then uh, that's how he <laughs> kind of goes off. And so this story picks up with uh, Ian McKellen as a beekeeper in Sussex retired. It's very, very sad, very nuanced. It's almost like Remains <laughs> of the Day meets Sherlock Holmes because he's, he's starting to lose his mind. He's starting Aww. to fail, but he still has that Sherlock Holmes you know, you know brain and so it's about his sort of one last mystery that he solves is this elderly elderly man living in the countryside tending his bees oh. and my, my, my wife and I went to see it on our anniversary a few years ago because it was Sherlock Holmes and it, I was like so depressed by the end of it I was just like <laughs> oh man like this was not the movie to go see when we were supposed to have like a, a date night you know uh, but anyway it, great performance I, absolutely it's Sir Ina McKellen for heaven's sakes uh,
1: yeah,
0: really? but, uh so anyway that's another uh, version we want to check out i think it's called mr holmes
1: Interesting. well she might have also been switching in her brain with christopher lee because ian mckellen and christopher lee were both in the uh, lord of the rings and yes. so a lot of people equate like you know switch the characters yes so it's, it's because they yeah anyway that's that true could they also both be, played, because we didn't uh, mention wizards christopher lee. yeah they both play One is an evil wizard and one is a wonderful wizard. Um, (laughs) But that's just an idea because I do that kind of thing all the time, right? Like you picture one and then you like, even if they're not really that similar at all, there's two people that I always, um, like Dylan McDermott and Dermot Mulroney- Oh, mm-hmm. I just call them both Dylan McDylan because mm-hmm. I can't tell, I can't remember who's been in what movie anyway. Well,
0: and I, I'd be surprised though, if she was thinking of Christopher Lee, because I've only seen a few minutes of Christopher Lee as Sherlock Holmes. And if you can imagine Count Dracula uh,
4: yeah. with a that, with that pipe,
0: uh, that pretty much is Christopher Lee's take on Sherlock Holmes. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, yeah,
1: but you it's know, it's intimidating.
0: You know, yeah. people like what they like and, yeah. uh, you know, I love Christopher uh,
1: Lee. Yeah. yeah, but I haven't seen that version, so I don't know. On Instagram,
3: too, we had a few people respond, and definitely there were some fans of Benedict Cumberbatch, Robin Berenger, and uh, Dorbiana underscore Leachie, both like Benedict Cumberbatch, although Dorbiana underscore Leachie also agreed with Roadside Attraction addict that Jeremy Brett is quintessential Holmes and said that Jeremy Brett's Holmes has the intensity and passion needed. So I think last podcast, uh, both Dennis and and Trevor agreed that Brett was their favorite Holmes, I think. Right. So you would agree with
2: that. And and after seeing the uh, Peter Cushing one, my opinion is the same. Okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But I have um, to say, after revisiting Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, I, I just I just uh, love I'd love the heck out of what he and Martin Freeman do with the characters too. It's oh, just so yeah. fun. and
1: for my third Tolkien reference, the fact that Benedict Cumberbatch voices Smaug in the Hobbit movie. So
4: Whoa.
1: yeah, in the scene in the Hobbit movie where Smaug and Bilbo are riddling each other in the dark. That's Sherlock Holmes and Watson again. Just you know, fixing off. So when I watched that
2: movie, when I watched that movie, I did not realize who Martin Freeman was. Like I didn't realize that Bilbo was Martin Freeman until that moment where him and Smog were talking. Yeah, and that's one that clicked in my head. Yeah, oh my god, I've (laughs) I've I've experienced this
1: before. Yeah, it's Holmes and Watson. And then moreover, like, there's an amazing behind the scenes clip on YouTube, I think is where I saw it, of Benedict Cumberbatch doing his smog scene lines. And because of how he acts, like, he's doing all of the physical movements as well. So he's kind of crawling around on the ground in this, like, creepy, dragony way as he's delivering the lines. And then, like, somebody will talk to him off the camera and he drops the character and he just talks back to them. And then he's back. as, And it's just, like, wow. the craziest thing to see him switch back and forth and to see his, like, face and um, body movements. And I'm doing all kinds of claw hands for you listeners at home, which <laughs> can see me, claw hands, um, to help him do it. So, yeah, it's so cool. I have a bit of a soft spot for Benedict Cumberbatch because reasons. So. All right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and there'll be another whole special episode of uh, Erica tells us all about why yes! Benedict Cumberbatch is the guy for her.
1: Like, it was the <laughs> weirdest thing when he was on Top Gear, right when he was, like, becoming famous. He was on Top Gear, which is this British show about cars. And he was just a dude. He was just, like, average Joe t-shirt dude. And it was so bizarre to see him like that when he was first getting famous for all this, like, crazy stuff. Anyway, I'm done. That's right. We can cut all Um,
0: this out. As far as as Sherlock Holmes' uh, renditions go, there's one sort of maybe underappreciated portrayal, which is uh, Johnny Lee Miller. uh, Yes, and there was somebody that
3: that... Mentioned that,
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. He he played Sherlock Holmes in the, uh, I think it was it was an ABC weekly series, Elementary, that was on a few years ago, where he, it was Sherlock Holmes. Oh, yeah. he, was a, he was still an Englishman, but he came to New York City. And I think the idea was that he was trying to just rebuild his life after some trauma in the past, which throughout the series, you, you figure out exactly what was going on. And then his, I feel like maybe his his counselor or his psychiatrist is... Dr. Watson, a female Dr. Joan Watson. And, Lucy uh, Liu, yeah. Lucy Liu, exactly. Watson. Yeah, Jiley yeah. Miller. Uh, he's probably also the only Sherlock Holmes that I can say that was formerly married to Angelina Jolie as well.
4: <laughs> uh,
0: I, I don't think uh, Peter Cushing could uh, say that,
4: but,
0: uh, uh, but yeah, John Lee Miller's portrayal is, is is a different take. He's a much more vulnerable Sherlock Holmes. I find he's a, he's um, like a struggling, recovering addict. He's a sensitive. He does a lot of interesting things with the character and they, they aren't typical. So I, I think, yeah, Johnny Lee Miller for sure should get an uh, honorable mention at least What we talk yeah. about Sherlock's.
3: Sora Neek Natu on um, Instagram actually said Johnny Lee Miller and said uh, that she chose him because he understood the humanity of the character and realized the importance of others. So like you were just saying, Trevor, mm-hmm. kind of, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. was just a little bit more vulnerable and kind of empathetic, obviously. And yeah, so... Sounds like a good version Yeah, to me. worth checking out. Yeah.
0: And uh, this might be a good time to ha- have a little poetry break.
3: <laughs> oh yeah, good yeah. idea. Hi, my name is Kim Perry, and I am the librarian at St. John's Library in Winnipeg's beautiful North End. I can't wait to see everybody back at the library when it is safe to reopen. The following is a poem called Every Single Day from local rapper Osani Balcaran a.k.a. V.O.B. He is an up-and-coming performer here in Winnipeg and also works as an instructor at Graffiti Gallery. Anyone who has seen him perform knows that he takes a lot of strength from his mom, who is also a local artist. So happy Mother's Day. You can check him out on Instagram and all streaming services. Enjoy.
5: Higher today, floating away, number my days, and every time I see you feeling like it's going to be the last time, last time uh hop on the bus and i'm out i need time for myself abandonment issues got all of these problems i gotta suppress them and get the day done no more consuming my brains in a wad tired and scared mad and confused mad at the world feeling like all this is hell when i'm down and i'm out and i crash on the couch uh crashing it all holding on threads holding my hand man can't comprehend and will i live will i survive i'm just getting by with my mom i love you i'm on my way just got the call just holding on hitting my bottom rocky beginning three months in and i'm exhausted feeling like obi vs the world verse myself and i don't want to hurt myself yeah dreams of terror got me up impending doom got me motivated
0: Holy mackerel, you guys. We spent so much time talking about Sherlock Holmes that we didn't leave enough time to talk about books to movies generally. So we're going to do a whole other special episode where we just focus on that. So please keep sending in your favorite books to movies, adaptations. We love to hear what they are. So now it's time for everyone's favorite segment, Nerd Words for Word Nerds. The part of each show where our hosts boil down their most prevalent thoughts of the past month into one word. Who wants to go first?
1: I'll go first, as a shocker. My nerd word is a uh, shameless bruise because I have uh, just read a book that I wanted to talk about and we weren't going to talk about books. So this is my way of talking about a book, <laughs> even though we weren't supposed to talk about a book. So my word is tramp. Tramp is a, a word for a long-term homeless person who travels from place to place, traditionally walking all year round. It comes from a Middle English verb meaning to walk with heavy footsteps, um, so much like trample. It was used widely in the Victorian period, not so much anymore. Uh, for people who were having to travel between boarding houses, or who were sleeping rough and spend a lot of their days or nights walking or tramping around. It also may be tied to its meaning as, as being applied to per- promiscuous women as being tramps. For similar reasons, they would be spend um, a lot of time tramping either to find to workhouses to try to find a place to sleep. Or along the streets at night. So that's my word, tramp. And the reason that I wanted to talk about the word tramp is because I just read the five, the untold lives of the women killed by Jack the Ripper by Hallie Ooh. Rubenhold. And oh my gosh, you guys, it was amazing. My um, mother-in-law suggested that I read it, and I said, "Oh, it's pretty dark for right now. I don't know if I'll do it." And but she really, she said, "No, you really should." So. It's, um, it's an amazing investigation into the lives of the victims of Jack the Ripper and how they were all painted as prostitutes but were not. They were just poor. They were born poor in Victorian London and they, she somehow meticulously rebuilt the course of their lives and ends each story on the night that she's killed by Jack the Ripper. And um, oh, wow. It's, yeah, it's really, it's really astounding. So hmm. if you can get your hands on, on that, it just came out this past year. It's called The Five, The Untold Lives of the Women Killed by Jack the Ripper by Hallie Rubenhold. And it's it's weird because it takes it's 1888 in London. And so it's sort of, in my brain, it's, it it's connects to Sherlock Holmes quite oddly, the same period and the same place, but totally, totally, totally different side of everything. So um, word of the uh, word nerd. Nerd word, word? Nerd? Tramp.
3: Tramp. Well, and nice. I, I feel like you can always count on Monica for some good uh, book suggestions, yes. hey? Yes, that's
1: right. Yeah. She's a Harv, a Harv patron, so you know her.
3: Shout out to Monica. Yeah. Um, I'll go next because um, it's a nerd word that also brings up a book. <laughs> it's like, just <laughs> can't do it. Bring are so um, <laughs> Although, uh, okay, so my nerd word is Exploration. Exploration, uh, Oxford Dictionaries describes as the action of traveling in or through an unfamiliar area uh, in order to learn about it, also through analysis of a subject or theme. Exploration is definitely something that I've been doing this past week as I've explored deeply the world of the Hound of the Baskervilles and Sherlock Holmes, <laughs> uh, very unknown territory for me. But why I also really chose it was I've been helping my son Isaac with a podcast of his, which is called the Pasadena Project, uh, where he's um, exploring sort of the history of this beautiful apartment building that he, he used to live in in the Cordon area. And um so I was reading uh, a piece for his podcast, and it was a section out of Rooster Town by Evelyn Peters. And Rooster Town is where many, many Métis folks lived. And I think lots of people think of it as being around sort of the Grant Park area. But um it sort of was down in this area where uh Isaac's old apartment was. So he was doing sort of an acknowledgement of what land the, the building was built on. Anyway, so I thought, sure, I can do, read some of these uh, bits of, of Rooster Town out loud. I do podcasts all the time. I do read alouds all the time. So as I sat there in Isaac's closet, because I feel like the best uh, podcasts are recorded in a closet, and I was reading out loud, and I just kept stumbling over the word exploration, and I could not get it right. I can say the word exploration. I can say it when it's on its own, (laughs) but whenever I had to say it in a sentence, it sounded like I was drunk or i just I exploration. explore <laughs> and like i just couldn't do it i had to do take after take after take it was so embarrassing cuz you know i like to you know see see myself as a bit of a podcast pro but no i was not at all so um exploration was my stumbling block but it also was a a word that really sort of personifies this last week for me with uh, doing doing all this um deep dive with you guys But when I was mentioning this to to Trevor, he reminded me of this clip of uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, this interview that he did where it was brought up that Benedict Cumberbatch can (laughs) never say the word penguin. (laughs) And I guess he did this whole like documentary about, uh, it wasn't even about penguins, but it was about like, yes, nature or whatever. Whenever he had to say the word penguin, he was like, penguin, penguin, <laughs> like, but yep. they, they just let it, he, they didn't make him do it over and over again. Yep. He just continually says it wrong the entire time. It's so funny. So then yep. I felt actually a lot better about You know, my own exploration, um, (laughs) pronunciation. So I'm going to link to that, to uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's, um, penguin, penguin, Penguin. (laughs) (laughs) um, in the show notes. But that's, so that, anyway, that's my very long, um, nerd word chat about exploration.
1: (laughs) You pronounced it perfectly every single time. Thank you.
2: Uh, I guess I'll go next. So recently, WPL has started posting a word of the day on our various social media platforms. And one of them brought back some memories for me. And that word was talisman. So when I was a youngster, I had a talisman brand BMX with gigantic tires. And being the type of nerdy kid I was, of course, I had to look up the word talisman in the dictionary. Mm -hmm. Uh, I like the way the Wikipedia article describes it. A talisman is an object that someone believes holds magical properties that provide particular power, energy, and specific benefits to the possessor. It comes from the Greek telesma, meaning completion, religious rite, or payment, ultimately from the verb teleo, I complete or perform a rite. So as a child, I loved this idea of a magical object that would protect me or give me powers. As an adult, I'm more of a philosophical naturalist, so I don't give any credence to the concept of magic or supernatural powers, but I am still in love with the idea of special objects. It makes no rational sense to imbue an object with characteristics or concepts that they can't possibly possess. But we are not entirely rational creatures. Our brains are powerful, pattern-matching, storytelling machines that look for and create connections wherever they can, including with inanimate objects. So despite the irrational nature of it, I can't help but become attached to physical objects sometimes, and they, in a sense, become my talismans. At any given time, I'm usually carrying something on my person that I don't really need to carry, but I find it comforting. It's not a compulsion. There are many times when I don't have a talisman with me and it doesn't bother me. But often I'll carry something just because I like it and because it makes me feel good to have it with me. Sometimes the object is useful, like a favorite pen Sometimes it's purely ornamental, like a smooth stone or a 3D-printed figure. When fidget spinners became popular, I had one of those with me a lot. It can be almost anything, but the thing separating it from whatever else I'm carrying is that I carry that particular object because of how it makes me feel rather than because it's something I need. So somehow, this makes me just a little happier knowing that I have a talisman in my pocket going with me as I go through the day. Talisman.
3: Oh, I love that's, it. That's,
1: that's, that's great. Yeah. And I also, like, it's, it's, it was interesting. A couple of weeks ago, I was reading a thing about anxiety. And the expert who wrote it suggested carrying a talisman. Um, and that's the word he used. And it's ju- just because it can become a focus for calming thoughts or for mindfulness or for positive association. So, I mean, I guess it depends what you mean by rational. But those are all that those those are all kind of powerful impacts that a physical object can have. Yeah. So that's really cool. Yeah. I love love that word.
0: Yeah. Well, as I was listening to Dennis, I was just sort of absolutely just uh, holding my wristwatch in my hand. I had taken it off my wrist and just held it in my hand. And the last couple of years, uh, listeners may or may not know that I've really gotten into wristwatches in a big way. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm starting to think now, well, maybe maybe these wristwatches they're maybe they're like uh, talismans. Oh, yeah. uh, they I, I, they make me happy. I have one with me almost all the time, and they're, they're some interesting. are comfort in a way. So, and then once again, I've, I've, I haven't learned the lesson that I should never follow Dennis when it comes to uh, nerd words, <laughs>
4: because.
0: Uh, <laughs> but uh, be that as it may, we must <laughs> carry on, and I will finish off our nerd word segment with something called Schlager music. If you Oh, uh, yes! Oh, I, I, oh uh, Kristen, I, I was hoping that There's perhaps... No uh, There's no segue!
4: There's no between I perhaps and you would Schlager recognize
0: music. this word, <laughs> Schlager music. Perhaps uh, Kristen could explain it better than me, but it's a uh, type of Euro pop. It's uh, sweet, sentimental ballads with a simple, catchy melody. Uh, many examples of this type of music you can find at the Eurovision Song Contest mm. every year that began in 1956. It's kind of... Germany's equivalent to America's country music. There are Schlager parades through German towns where people dress up in 70s clothes and kind of, uh, you know, uh, have throwbacks to to that time. The reason I mention Schlager music is one of Germany's, I guess, most popular Schlager music duos were called Cindy and Bert. Uh, and, uh, and one of their hits, which is considered a rarity among the fans, is a uh, cover tune of Black Sabbath's Paranoid, but they've changed the title to Der Hund von Baskerville. <laughs> and, and, and the words are all changed, uh, to, I think. I've, I've got a translation from the Germans. I'm not going to read all the lyrics, but I'm going to read the first stanza just to give you a sense of what Der Hund von Baskerville sounds like. So these are the English words. Fog drifts in thick swaths across the moor from Forest Hill. Green and ghostly, a wisp grins. It is night in Baskerville. Who spreads fear and terror? Who destroys what he wants? Everyone is trying to hide in front of the Baskerville dog. Who is he? That Baskerville dog? Oh, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so he had that's, uh, yeah. oh yeah
5: my so gosh. i mean if
0: you just youtube i wish i had the german um, uh, in front Cindy of me Bert, <laughs> it's it's really a fantastic song oh my god uh, i think you all enjoy it It kind of wraps up our deep dive into the hound of the baskervilles yeah. and, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so i uh <laughs> with that unfortunately that's all the time we have this time thank you so much dear readers for tuning in Get in on the conversation by finding us on Facebook or emailing us at wpl-podcast.winnipeg.ca. Is there a topic you'd like to hear us discuss on a future special episode? Let us know. We'd love it if you hit subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast service. And we'd love it even more if you were to give us a rate and a review. And until next time, make sure you find Time Time to to read. Read. i'll just start in mm. all right here we- <laughs> okay i think it's gonna be relatively not noisy here hopefully so <laughs> we'll
2: okay, okay. You, you kicked out your family
0: yeah i, I they're <laughs> out of the kitchen but uh i think they know what we're starting to record i'm starting to record <laughs> okay i think so okay here we go excellent